Kevin Gosman on the mound for the Toronto Blue Jays tonight as they close out this incredibly rough stretch of 25 road games in the first 37 games to open up the season. It's gone well for the Blue Jays overall, so we've got to be happy with that. If you just look at Kevin Gosman's numbers on the surface, you're going to be underwhelmed. But really, when you deep dive, he has had 12 earned runs in two blow-up innings. That's seven-run first inning at Houston, but he rebounded. He was scoreless the rest of the way that he lasted in that Houston game, then had back-to-back scoreless starts. So he rebounded really well from that, whatever the heck that was. And then last week, we saw him pitch at Boston, gave up a run in the first, five in the second. Not sure what the heck happened, an absolute explosion. But again, I think we're going to see Kevin Gosman rebound to Night and have a really good start against the Philadelphia Phillies. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. Certainly thrilled to have you along to talk Toronto Blue Jay baseball on a Wednesday. Uh, could you say, is, is this a matinee game? 4.05 uh, p.m. Eastern is the first pitch. Of course, you can catch the game on Sirius XM. Is 4 o'clock, is that maybe you should just say it's an afternoon game, right? I guess a matinee game is more like a 1 or a 2 o'clock. I, I don't, semantics, I know. But yes, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, first pitch. Kevin Gosman against Zach Wheeler. Just like the Tuesday matchup on paper, it looks like a fantastic pitching matchup. It is two two pitchers who overall their numbers are not at you know in line with how well they've pitched this season. Gosman, we, we talked about Gosman in the opening, and we've seen Gosman on the road this season. Blue Jays just two and three on the road so far this season, and Kevin Gosman starts now three times in, in his road start. So it is worth mentioning three of those road starts, Kevin Gosman has not allowed a run. Now, the other two times, of course, I mean, truth be told, he was rocked, right? We talked about that Houston start. We talked about that Boston start. This is his fifth career start at Philadelphia. A lot of base runners over the course of his career allowed at Citizen Bank Ballpark, but he's he's right at the ship. He hasn't allowed a lot of runs. He's stranded a lot of those base runners as well. His best start ever at Citizens Bank was very likely the one he had last season as a Toronto Blue Jay. Six innings pitched, no runs on five hits, two walks, struck out eight. Now, this Philly offense overall, I mean, there's guys to worry about in this lineup, right? And they've hit. A lot of these guys have hit Gosman in the past. Nick Cassianos has a pair of home runs against Kevin Gosman. Kyle Schwarber has three home runs against against Kevin Gosman. Bryce Harper, bad timing for the Blue Jays. He's back now and, and off to a really good start since coming back. He's 8 for 18, plus five walks and a home run in there, too, for good measure in his career against Kevin Gosman. And again, he's swinging a hot bat right now, so we're certainly going to have to keep an eye on that matchup. And new Philadelphia Philly, Trey Turner, 7 for 21 with a pair of doubles in his career against Gosman. So some of these Phillies have absolutely hit Gosman well in the past. Kevin Gosman, I mean, this season he's he's really been feast or famine. Now he's been feast way more than famine, right? We talked about the seven runs in that first inning uh, against uh, Houston. Now right after that seven run uh, outburst in that first inning against Houston, Gosman directly after that tossed 17 and two thirds scoreless innings. Now he was rocked last time out by Boston, but again, the, the precedence has been set when, when he's had bad starts, he's rebounded really effectively. You know, if you take that first inning out, against Houston and that second inning out against Boston. So take take just two innings out of Kevin Gosman's re- resume out of a stat sheet for, for 2023 so far. That leaves him with 40 innings pitched, six runs allowed. It's a 1.35 ERA. I mean, is that good? Is that going to work? How about in those 40 innings, four walks? Is that going to work? Is that good? And how about in those 40 innings, 50 
six strikeouts. Pardon me. Is that any good? Is that going to work? My gosh, you take those two innings out and Kevin Gosman is authoring a Cy Young season. Zach Wheeler on the other side of the coin. He'll go for the for the Phillies. Three and two on the season. I mean, not horrible, right? But the 4.26 ERA, that's not really Zach, Zach Wheeler. He's 21 and 10 in his career with a minuscule 2.49 ERA at home here at Citizens Bank Ballpark. So, wow, 21 and 10, 2.49 ERA at Citizens Bank. Wow. Four complete games in his career. Three have come in this ballpark. Very impressive is his career whip at Citizens Bank Ballpark in Philadelphia is under one. This guy is traditionally really good in this ballpark. And he's keeping the ball in the ballpark. It's actually been impressive. That aspect of Wheeler has been very impressive in 2023. He gave up a home run in his season debut, hasn't given up a home run since. So hopefully we're going to see, you know, one or two Blue Jays get home runs today, but it's certainly no sort of given. Wheeler dominating righties. If there is going to be a home run hit today against him, I think it'll be from the lefties. Lefties are hitting him. Dominating righties. Lefties have hit Wheeler so far this season. Now, this is only his second night start of the season. Now, now, traditionally, Zach Wheeler's been very good in his night starts, but he was rocked in his only night start so far this season. Now, Wheeler's a guy who's going to run his fastball and his sinker up there in the mid-90s. Throws a very hard fastball, throws a very hard sinker. And when he's on, he's a ground ball-inducing machine. Again, not allowing a lot of home runs this season, right? Allowing much more hard contact so far this season than usual. So that's hopefully some glass half full for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he's similar to Manoa in that batters are allowing the ball to travel a lot more this season because the stuff hasn't been quite as sharp where you feel like you need to get everything started really early on or you're going to be fooled or overmatched. And, and he's giving up a lot of opposite field hits so far this season. Coming up on Locked on Blue Jays, we'll take a look as on the whole as to how that Blue Jays-Phillies 1993 World Series played out. Some specific 1993 Jays-Phillies stories tomorrow as well, a throwback Thursday. Make sure to tune in for that. Now, those games were not available on SiriusXM, but remember now, these current Toronto Blue Jays games are available on SiriusXM. Our new sponsor, So Rare, is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. Now, like other fantasy baseball platforms, so rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. Plus, the more you win, the more you advance, collecting increasingly, increasingly powerful cards and accessing next-level competition and rewards. So Rare recently partnered with MLB stars Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez to serve as brand ambassadors, and both are featured in So Rare's current brand campaign and will engage with the So Rare community throughout the season at MLB events. So Rare MLB game weeks happen twice each week and span a three- and four-day cycle, so Monday to Thursday and then the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. At the end of the game week, So Rare MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, which can include So Rare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting some of these MLB stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. Head to SoRare.com slash locked on. That's S-O-R-A-R-E.com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing to win epic rewards today. Again, that's SoRare.com slash locked on to start playing today. 
1993 World Series, we know the the calling card of that World Series is the iconic Tom Cheek call, touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life, game-winning World Series clinching home run for Joe Carter in Game 6. We know all that drama, yes, but do you remember how we got to that Game 6? Because overall, this was a really good World Series. The Toronto Blue Jays would take Game 1 at home. Now, the Phillies would take Game 2, 6-4, to four, and so they would they would take home field advantage right away from the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, I shouldn't say right away. Jays won game one, but quickly in the series, Philly took home field advantage by winning that game two. That was a 6-4 final. Uh, Jim Eisenreich hit a three-run home run in the third inning. That made it 5 nothing Philly. And yes, it was a 6-4 final. So, you know, Philly sort of hung on to win that game, but it wasn't really in in much question. And the Blue Jays closers had really did, or sorry, both teams closers really did the job in those first two games in Toronto. Remember that that format was is, is two games in the, the team that has the home field advantage. That's the Blue Jays. So first two games in Toronto, middle three games. So games three, four, and five in Philly, and then game six and seven, if needed, back in Toronto. Well, Dwayne Ward got the save for the Blue Jays in game one, and Mitch Williams got the save for the Blue Jays in game two. So the closers doing their thing. Uh, both teams having it taken a turn offensively doing their thing. And this series is tied going to Philadelphia for the pivotal game three. And what was so, 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 so great. I mean, just you can imagine, right? So great about that game three is the fact that the Toronto Blue Jays jumped out. Effect- I mean, it's it's scary now, right? Philly has, has wrestled back, has wrestled away home field advantage at home for that middle three games. If Philly takes two out of these three, then you're down three, two, even though six and seven are in Toronto. Still the math of it, right? It, it can get scary. The, the Blue Jays were not happy to have lost game two and, and and so early in the series have lost home field advantage. Well, they jump on Danny Jackson for three in the top of the first inning. And by the time a, a Tony Fernandez sack fly took place in the top of the six, the Blue Jays had returned the five nothing favor that that Philly had from game two. They they led five nothing now in game three, and they would cruise to a 10 to three victory. Very important game, very important game to win. Now, certainly not as important, or I shouldn't say not as important, not as dramatic. But you, I, I think you maybe could say not as important as the Game 4 victory. I always think Game 4 is the most important game in any series, just from the sheer math of it. The only options are one team either wins 4-0, four, four so jam done, or one team takes a 3-1 to one stranglehold on the series, or the team that's down 2-1 to one wins and they even up the series, so a best of seven becomes a best of three. So only three alternatives that can happen in a game four. So I think it's such a, such a pivotal game. And my goodness, and we're going to really deep dive this game for tomorrow during throwback Thursday, because just an incredible, incredible game. That was 15 to 14 final. So you think about that now in games three and four, both at Philadelphia, Blue Jays have combined for 25 runs. So that offense was humming. Blue Jays up three games to one. Stranglehold. Again, we'll we'll deep dive game four tomorrow on Throwback Thursday. But right, so let's go to game five here for, for today's episode. That takes us to three games to one. Last game at Philadelphia, Kurt Schilling against Juan Guzman, an absolute pitcher's duel, a gem of a baseball game. Philly scores an unearned run in the first. Then they get a two-out RBI double by Kevin Stalker off Juan Guzman in the second, make it 2 nothing. That was it. That was it for the entire game. Juan Guzman, all told, would go seven very strong innings. Kurt Schilling would go the complete game for the shutout, allowing just five hits, three walks. He struck out six. There was a bunch of times. There was like three, four times in this game where the Blue Jays got a runner on, got a base runner on early in the inning, but 
Kurt Schilling would have raced it on a double play. He was just incredible in this game. Such a performance. The the definitely the best chance to score for the Blue Jays was in the top of the eighth inning. Again, two nothing Philly top eight. Pat Borders leads off with a base hit. Rob Butler. Some CanCon, yeah. Rob Butler gets a base hit off Schilling, so it's back-to-back singles. Schilling would retire Ricky Henderson on a comeback or a fielder's choice. He would strike out Devon White on three pitches, and then he would get Roberto Alomar to ground out to end the threat. Second baseman, Philly second baseman, Mariano Rivera positioned perfectly to, to make that play and to end that inning. One second baseman retiring the other in a huge spot right there, and just as well, man, a, a hat tip performance. I remember watching it uh, at, at Kelsey's. I, I remember a bunch of our friends we went down and we were watching it to, at a restaurant. And thank God we had each other for company because it was just miserable. The Blue Jays were never really truly in the game. Again, base runners on every now and then, but Schilling would just erase them promptly with a double play. He was incredible that game. Now, game six. Of course, we know game six would come down to the ninth inning. We'll also look more about it. We're, look closer at that ninth inning in throwback Thursday uh, tomorrow as well, because that ninth inning, not just that game, not just the game six was good. That ninth inning was the most incredible inning of baseball I've ever seen. So I want us to deep dive that together tomorrow on throwback Thursday. The, one of the crazy things about this game, I think people would, would forget is the Blue Jays were cruising. Remember, so three games to two for the Blue Jays. They're back home now to hopefully try to bring, clinch the World Series, bring home a second straight World Series to Toronto, to Canada, to the Blue Jays fan base. They're cruising up five to one in the seventh inning. But Dave Stewart and Danny Cox would get lit up for five runs. And just like that, as we headed to the seventh inning stretch at the Sky Dome, the Sky Dome fans were stunned at that time, Sky Dome, right? The Toronto Blue Jay faithful at Sky Dome stunned as 5-1 mere minutes ago was now 6-5 Philly. That, that that okay Blue Jay seventh inning stretch wasn't uh, wasn't as energetic as, as we thought it would be mere minutes, right mere minutes earlier. So the Blue Jays, 6-5-1, now down 6-5. And it could have been even worse, actually. Blue Jays had to call on Al Leiter to get the final two outs of that inning, or, or 6-5 could have been even worse. Philly was really threatening to extend that lead, really deliver a knockout punch in that inning. Now 6-5, going to the bottom of the ninth, and, and we know MLB history was made with the most incredible inning ever seen. Again, we're going to deep dive that tomorrow. How about the individual performances in, in this World Series for the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, Ricky Henderson, just five for 22, but five walks, which led the team, and that five walks helped him to a 393 on base percentage. 393 on base? I mean, yes, please. Ricky Henderson did what he does. It was instrumental in that ninth inning. Again, we'll look at that tomorrow. Instrumental in that Blue Jay rally in the ninth inning. Devon White. Seven for 24. He had four walks. So he also, just like Ricky Henderson, 393 on base percentage. So how's that for table setters for a World Series championship team? Your number one and your number two hitter each with a 393 on base. Devo in that World Series, in fact, would score eight runs. Is that impressive? It was a six-game series. Devo scored eight times. Roberto Alomar. 12 for 25, that's a 480 batting average for Robbie Alomar, plus two walks, which put his on-base percentage over 500, pardon me, over 500, Roberto Alomar's on-base percentage in that World Series. His OPS in that World Series, Roberto Alomar, 1,159. 1.159, I mean, these are video game numbers. Joe Carter, Joe Carter didn't have a huge World Series, and you know, I mean, I know, I know. We know what he did. We right. He, he, he who cares? Who he? He could have gotten no hits, right? If that, he got the most important one, I know. Uh, overall, I think he had seven hits in the World Series. Uh, he was the uh, answer to our trivia question yesterday. He and Paul Molitor each had two home runs in that World Series for the Blue Jays that led the Blue Jays. And Paul, speaking of Paul Molitor, that's your World Series MVP. 
11 for 24. That's a 458 batting average in the World Series. Pardon me. Plus three walks. Put Paul Molitor's World Series on base percentage for the Toronto Blue Jays at 536. Holy moly. Would you believe? Can I add to that for you here? Paul Molitor did not strike out in the World Series. I mean, was this guy incredible? Was this guy incredible? A hitting machine. So he was the 93 World Series MVP. The 92 World Series MVP was Pat Borders. Well, he had over 300 for the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series. Tony Fernandez, in his second of what would be four stints with the Toronto Blue Jays. Tony Fernandez is such a Blue Jay legend. He was 7 for 21 in this World Series with nine RBIs. That's a World Series record for shortstops. Yeah, nine RBIs for Tony Fernandez in the 1993 World Series, including five in that insane 15 to 14, extremely important game four win for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, 15 to that 15 to 14 game, Tony Fernandez, five RBIs in that game. <laughs> now, remember, this is in the days, of course, where, where pitchers hit in the National League parks. The Blue Jays pitchers in total would go one for eight. It was an Al Leiter double. Believe it or not, yeah, Al Leiter double as the lone uh, hit for the Blue Jays. And also from the Believe It or Not, would you believe in the 93 World Series, John Ullard now his on-base percentage was very respectable at 364. So the on-base percentage was respectable for Ullard because he did have four walks, but he was just four for 17 at the plate, a 235 batting average. Pretty pedestrian, pretty underwhelming for someone as good as Johnny O. How about the the uh, pitching staff? A lot of the veteran pitchers got rocked, actually. F- Philly could hit. That 93 Philly team, they could hit. Uh, Tony Castillo, Danny Cox, Mark Eichhorn, Al Leiter, Dave Stewart, Todd Stonemeyer. These guys all got rocked by this by this Phillies offense. Again, it was a top-tier offense. The best pitchers for the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series were Pat Hankin, Mike Timlin, and Dwayne Ward. Uh, Pat Hankin actually was slated to start for the Blue Jays in Game 7 if Joe Carter didn't do those heroics, or, or uh, the Jays at least didn't tie or come back to win that Game 6. Timlin and Dwayne Ward were really good. Ward was the winner of Game 6, actually. He was the winning pitcher that benefited from that Joe Carter home run, of course. Timlin and Ward in that 93 World Series for the Toronto Blue Jays would combine for 11 strikeouts, did not walk a batter. Now, we've talked a lot. Everydayers will will know. We've talked a lot about the Blue Jays' schedule to start the season, 25 of the first 37 games being road games. Well, today is game number 37, so I thought let's deep dive some significant number 37s in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. We'll start with 37. That's the 37 is the most errors in a season. It was in 1980. It was Blue Jay shortstop Alfredo Griffin. Yeah, made 37 errors. Would you believe the previous season in 79, he made 36 errors. So 36 errors in 79, 37 errors in 1980. Kind of, does that help? Is that helping you feel a little bit better about Bo Bichette? Alfredo Griffin was a defensive specialist, by the way. He was one of the worst hitters you've ever seen. At least Bo Bichette is a magician. He's, he's just incredible with the bat, right? So maybe we, maybe we need to be a little more forgiving of some of Bo's errors. I mean, heck, Bo made 24 errors in 2021 and then 23 errors last season. Again, Alfredo Griffin, one-time Blue Jays shortstop, 36 errors, and you follow that up with a club with a franchise record, 37 errors. Holy moly. Teoscar Hernandez, war number 37 for the Toronto Blue Jays. Easy to have him be a fan favorite. It was easy to cheer for Teo. 129 home runs with the Blue Jays, a 263 career batting average, and 823 career OPS with the Toronto Blue Jays over parts of the six seasons that he spent with the Jays. Over those six seasons, amassed a 10.0 war. His best season was certainly that 2021, and it was eye-pop emoji. He played a career-high 143 games in 2021, career-high 296 batting average, career-high 32 long balls, career-high 116 RBIs, also had a career-high 346 on base percentage. 
all of that added up to him being an all-star, a silver slugger, and he actually finished top 20, finished 19th that season in MVP voting. That 2021 was on the heels of him leading the 2020 Blue Jays with 16 home runs. Remember, that was the COVID-shortened season 2020. But he led the Jays with 16 home runs that season, Teo did, and was 11th in MVP voting. So Teo, I mean, when, when Teoscar Hernandez became a Toronto Blue Jay, he had that huge hole in his swing. I mean, sadly for Mariners fans, inexplicably, that hole is back, actually. But we saw him develop and blossom right before our very eyes. Again, easy to have him to, to cheer for him, right? He was a definite fan favorite with that personality. His 47 strikeouts so far in 2023 leads the American League. He's hitting just 226. His seven home runs would have him tied for the Blue Jays club lead, but seven, I mean, it's not that great. And his on-base percentage so far for Teo as a Seattle Mariner, 268. I mean, that is completely gross. It's by far the worst in his career. If your on-base percentage is 300, that's bad. That's bad. So Teo would have to catch absolute fire just to get up to bad so far this season for the Seattle Mariners. Things not going great for him. You remember in his uh, return to Rogers Center a couple of weekends back, I don't think he really enjoyed himself. He was he did have that one home run, yes, but that was his only hit in the series. He went one for 12, struck out seven times in his return to Rogers. Wow. Who is the best number 37 ever in Toronto Blue Jays franchise history? This one's, I mean, hands down, right? It's Dave Steeb. Dave Steve, I often wonder, and I think older heads will, will agree here. Will, will, I mean, often sort of opine, uh, often have the conversation. You know, is he properly rated? He's in the Blue Jays' level of excellence. I think a lot of people know he was he was really good, but he was. Do we really understand how special Dave Steve was? He pitched in 443 games, 412 starts, all but four of those. Whereas a Toronto Blue Jay, he would make four starts at the end of his career in 93 for the Chicago White Sox. But so 412 starts. So four, what, 408 of those for, were, were with the Toronto Blue Jays. This guy is a seven-time All-Star. Remember, this is in the 80s. The Blue Jays aren't exactly stacking All-Stars like they have been in the, in the 90s and 2000s. To be a seven-time All-Star was incredible. Top seven in Cy Young voting four times for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he had a run through 1985, sorry, through from 1980 through 1985, where check out his complete games, 14, 11, 19, 14, 11, 8. And he had 19 shutouts during that span, during that five-season stretch, 19, sorry, six-season stretch, 19 shutouts. The Blue Jays have had 19 shutouts combined their last 14 seasons. Dave Steve was doing that himself between 80 and 85. Just an incredible run by an incredible pitcher. Now, you, you want to talk about heartbreak? Dave Steve is the author of some of the heartbreak in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. If Even if you know this story, I mean, stick around, right, and, and relive it with me here. We'll, we'll go through some through some pain together here. But if, if you don't know the story of Dave Steve's no-hitters, would-be no-hitters, buckle up. You're not going to believe it. They're incredible, incredible stories. So it takes us to the end of the 1988 season. Now, Dave Steve overall, his last three starts of the 88 season were all complete game shutouts. <laughs> Is that good? Is that good? Okay. Now, the last two, both should have been no hitters, though. Just, just incredibly bad luck. Whew, okay, buckle up. Here we go. Let's go back. September 24th, 1990 at Cleveland. Two outs in the ninth of a no-hitter. Julio Franco. Yeah, that Julio Franco who's who's still playing in a league somewhere. The ageless wonder. He's still playing baseball somewhere. Had that awesome batting stance, right? Julio Franco at the plate. Two out. Dave Steve looking for a, for a no-hitter. Ball one. Then strike one call. Then strike two call. So 
one and two. Dave Steve, one strike away from the first no-hitter in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Dave Steve, one strike away from history. Julio Franco would foul off the next pitch, would foul off the pitch after that, would foul off the pitch after that. Then just missed for ball. Then Steve just missed for a ball two call. So now the count is two and two. On the two and two pitch, Julio Franco hits a very weak ground ball directly at Manny Lee, who's playing second base right at him. And, and I want you just to consider, I've always wanted to ask Ernie Wood about this. He was the catcher at the time for the Blue Jays. And if you think about the catcher's perspective, that ground ball heading right to the second baseman, look at the angle that Ernie Wood has. He can see it's a weak hit ground ball right at the second baseman, Manny Lee. So as that ball's traveling during that split second, Ernie Wood's thinking, oh my goodness, I'm part of history. I've just caught a no-hitter, and it's the first no-hitter in Toronto Blue Jay franchise. Oh, my gosh. I'm part of history. You must have been going absolutely nuts. The ball on its way to Manny Lee hits the lip of the grass where, where, where the dirt where the dirt cutout is, and there's the, the grass and the dirt cutout there. There's a little lip there. It hits there perfectly, bounces 15 feet in the air straight over Manny Lee's head. Manny Lee even jumped because what was he going to do? I mean, he, he didn't even come within 10 feet of the darn thing. Straight 15 feet in the air. Now it's into left into center field. Now no one touched the ball. So the official score couldn't give an error. It goes down as a base hit. The only reason Dave Steve even got the win that day, never mind the no hitter. The only reason he even got a win is some Canadian content. Uh, uh, Rob Ducey hit a sack fly in the top of the ninth to score Fred McGriff. So it was a one, nothing blue Jay final, but absolute. So at least Steve got the complete game win, right? But absolute heartbreaking way to lose a no hitter. Julio Franco the next day, Spoke to the media. Julio Franco the next day, you can look up this interview. He says, point blank, I was out. He says, point blank, I will tell everybody forever that I was out. I will tell everybody forever that was a no-hitter. That was a no-hitter. I was out. He will tell. He was screaming it from the rooftops the very next day. Absolute heartbreak. Now, as if things couldn't get worse, that was the second last start of the 1988 season. Now let's go to September 30th, the last game of the season, his last start of the season. Fresh off that heartbreak. Would you believe Dave Steve goes to the ninth inning again with a no-hitter and gets the first two batters out? Are you absolutely kidding me right now? And, and by the way, he's now on a scoreless uh, inning streak of 31 and a third innings pitched. And over his last 40 innings at this point, over his last 40 innings, his only run he allowed was from a balk. This is how dominant Dave Steve was. This is how good Dave Steve was. This is how special Dave Steve was. Again on the doorstep of a no-hitter. Again on the doorstep of history. Here comes Jim Traber, pinch hitting for the number nine hitter in Baltimore. The Blue Jays are at home at Exhibition Stadium against the Baltimore Orioles. Here comes Jim Traber, terrible hitter. Jim Traber spent parts of four seasons on the big league level with Baltimore. He's a career 227 hitter, terrible hitter. He was, he was a big guy, supposed to be a big, powerful first baseman, never worked out, terrible hitter. Dave Steep starts on ball one, ball two, then a strike one call and a foul ball. So again, just like with Julio Franco in Cleveland in his previous start, Two and two count, one strike away from history. Traber gets a piece to foul off the 2-2 and then hits a broken bat looper just over the head of first baseman Fred McGriff. It drops in front of Jesse Barfield. Another, would you believe, another completely fluky hit to end Dave, Dave Steve's no-hit bid. How this happened to him twice over his career, you know, that heartbreaking, I have no idea. How it happened on back-to-back -back starts, you've got to be kidding me. Finally, in back, back in Cleveland now, September 2nd of 1990, back in Cleveland, Dave Steve would finally get the no-hitter. He would finally secure that. And, and if, if you've seen his reaction, it was a Junior Felix 
excuse me, Junior Felix squeezes that last out to, to end that no-hitter. And when you see Dave Steve's reaction, it's of almost almost disbelief, not even celebratory that he accomplished something, almost disbelief because he'd had all these crazy near misses. There, believe it or not, there's other near miss no-hitters that Dave Steve had between, other than these two. But just for me, the fact that these were back-to-back starts to end 1988 in pursuit of, of history, the most heartbreak, some of the most heartbreaking moments in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. And to this day, that September 2nd, 1990 no-hitter that Dave Steve authored at Cleveland, to this day, only no-hitter in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. That'll wrap up Wednesday's Locked On Blue Jay episode. Locked On Blue Jay, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Reminder, of course, you can take in this afternoon's game on SiriusXM. Be sure to check back in tomorrow, Throwback Thursday. We're going to deep dive what we saw, some good, bad, ugly of what we saw on this nine-game road trip. And it's Throwback Thursday, so we're going to have some great Throwback Thursday stories about your Toronto Blue Jays.